לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to a special edition of Parsha Talk, which we should really call Machzor Talk, or Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah Talk, because I think we're going to do another talk between Rosh Hashanah and Yid, a, a Seret Yemei talk. Welcome, I'm Rabbi Elliot Malman, Highland Park Conservative Temple, Highland Park, New Jersey. Joining me, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski at the Anshei Chesed, Kargesh Anshei Chesed in Manhattan, New York City. Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Schechter, Day School, Long Island. Shalom, you guys. Shalom. It's great to see you. First of all, before we start, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to all of our viewers. Shana Tova to you. We, we so, so appreciate your comments. This week, someone came up to me. Someone said, I love Parsha Talks. We had a big sign. Nanette, thank you. <laughs> so we want to talk about Rosh Hashanah this week. We want to talk about things that uh, are important to us this week. And, and we'll have a freewheeling conversation the way we do about the Parsha every week. But I want to I first zero in on, on some of the subtle additions that uh, we, we make in the prayers. Uh, and these are not lost on people. So for example, uh, the addition of the, two, the word Le'ela in the Kaddish. Let's, let's start, that's an easy one. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, Le'ela, Le'ela. Beyond, we, all, the rest of your God is beyond the praises that we can conceive of. And, and on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in this season, God is beyond, beyond. It's just like, incredibly far beyond. And, you know, it, it's often said that there's like two modes of, of Jewish theology, or well, maybe even not just Jewish, but two, kind of two modes. God is utterly beyond the world, utterly different. Or God is dwelling within the world, within the world, imminent, transcendent. Often called transcendent and imminent. Or in the language of the Zohar, God is sovev kol almin, surrounding all the worlds but not part of it. Or mimale kol almin, filling all of the worlds from within. And each of them has a part in the repertoire of Jewish theology. But this period of the year is a time when the when the transcendent mode really kind of takes over. Um, and and you think about God as not, you know, not part of your intimate feeling, but this majestic and perhaps terrifying presence that you have to stand before. Uh, if you're going to have a, a, a relationship with Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment, I, th- I actually think this is salutary, even if, we, even if we often don't want to feel that God is totally other. It's healthy to, to uh, at least sometimes feel, th- this is not, you know, my inner voice. This is the cosmic standard that I have to, to hold myself to, and it's far beyond what I can even conceive of. Interesting, fascinating. Barry. So uh, this idea of transcendence, I find fascinating, because why Dafka on Rosh Hashanah do we emphasize the transcendent nature of God? We emphasize God as the creator, um, the great power in the universe, 
And it seems like there's a message because I think the feeling that we get, especially those of us who wear talitot, is we want to be huddled within our talit, comforted by the warmth of our talit while we're in shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as a way of addressing the transcendent God. That even though, as Jeremy pointed out, God is so far beyond us, we are still searching for that connection, that way of addressing God, not only as the Melech, but as the Av, the Father. Can I, I, I want to give a, a, a totally opposite um, picture of this, because I think, I think when we add the word Leila, it does more to us than it does in terms of describing God. I, I, I mean, I use this expression not as a, as, a, um, as a matter of characterizing God. I use it as an expression of reaching. I say we have to reach Leila, Leila. We have to do a little bit more. And, and to me, the, the, the second word, Leila, is actually a summons to human beings. It's a summons to us to attempt a little more. And, and of course, that's what the Yamim Noraim, the Sertimei Tshuva, uh, is demanding. It's, it's, this is a peak moment in Jewish life. It's a, it's a, it's a great moment in the calendar. And, and it calls for a certain kind of intensity. And that personal intensity is the intensity that we are projecting in terms of, in terms of the universe, very. Yeah. Right, but I think one of the messages uh, of the Yamim Noraim is that we're supposed to feel comfortable in our smallness. The reason why we emphasize God's transcendence, perhaps, is because we, in fact, are small. We don't measure up, both in terms of sin, obviously, but also in terms of comparison. You know, who are we, flesh and blood, to address the creator of the universe. I read a beautiful Dvar Torah on, on that very idea of being in a small space. And of course, you know, many of us are going to be in, in smaller environments, davening at home or davening in smaller groups. And so the, the scope of our, of our sanctuary is, is much smaller. In fact, you know, this is projecting ahead to Yom Kippur where the Kohen Gadol enters into the Holy of Holies. And it's almost as if each one of us is called to enter into the Holy of Holies, our own place, and that's what we're doing, but we, 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 we've leapt ahead here. Okay, let's go to another one. Let's go to uh, the, the additions in the Shemona Esrei. Any one of those uh, excite you or, or call to mind a, a, you know, the metaphors. Or Jeremy, take a crack. God is the God, God is the God of, of, of life. And, you know, we talked last week about, uh, Elliot, one of your, your favorite psukim of, of, choose life. And this, this God, you know, um, we conceive of this time, our, our metaphors of this time is, is that, that moment in which the world is judged. And, you know, the things that we cannot control and we don't know are what's coming down the pike for us, you know, our health or our illness and our, our thriving or our, you know, falling apart, um, even life or death. We don't know what's ahead of us. That's, that's one of the major themes of this time of the year. And uh, we in Judaism affirm that God wants everyone to live, Absolutely. right? We, we affirm, of course, I'm speaking in a poetic way because mortality is not going away. Everyone is gonna die, okay? When a baby is born, that baby has a death sentence in 120 years. So it's not that I, I have a magical thinking that there's no that there's no death. No, there is death. But we conceive of God 
as always being on the side of affirmation and life. And so that phrase that we say, especially in the way that we usually sing it, which is this beautiful, you know, life, 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 life. Everybody's pulling for life. And it's, it's, like a, a, a magnet drawing out your heart that towards life. There's a funny little, a funny little almost quasi-halachic detail. You know, how do you point the word zochreinu for what? Is it with a shva, the two dots, lechayim, or with a patach or kamatz, whatever, I don't know the difference. Lachayim, and and the sources say, you have to say lechayim, because, and not la chayim, because they wouldn't want anybody to think that you were using the phrase la in the Aramaic sense of no. no. You wouldn't know anybody even to say the word la chayim, no life. No, no, you can't even say, is it something that sounds like no life? It has to say life, 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 life. Nice, nice. So as long as you mention halacha, one of the things that I like to think about when we come to these uh, insertions is that when they were first introduced, they caused a lot of tumult in the halachic Jewish community because they interfere with the matbeat filah, the fixed order of the prayers, and a number of great sages wanted to banish them, to eliminate them. And it was only after much struggle that we finally were allowed, I guess the word would be, to keep the four that we have in the Amidah only one of which is important enough where we actually have to say it. The others, if we don't say it on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the intervening days, we don't have to repeat the Amidah. The one that we have to say is Melech HaKadosh, that we have to recognize on Rosh Hashanah, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, that God is in fact the Holy King, not the Holy God. And I think that that speaks to us in a, a way that's worth thinking about. So the, the, obviously, that's the theme of God's sovereignty over, over the world. You know, I want to just go back to, to the book the book for a second and, and uh, the addition of the Avina Malkena, which, which uh, there's a passage in the Avina Malkena which has a whole library of books, right? Kotvenu be Sefer Chaim Tovim, write us in the book of Good Life. Kotvenu be Sefer Yeshua, Redemption and Salvation. Parnasav Chakala, the book of oh man, uh, that's it of, of, of uh, fulfillment. The book of of uh, living, b'sefer zechuyot, right? The the book of merit, b'sefer the book of forgiveness. And so I often read this, and sometimes you know when it's when when it's really late, like in the Eli, I go like, what other books do you want to be written in? What, what's the library of books that you, I mean, I, you know, Jeremy, you're look, you, I, I look at you, and I, behind you is, I think that's Daniel Matt's translation of the Zohar, right? Every that's volume. <laughs> so I see, I see the Alvina Malkedo as, as, as the, the shelf behind you, right? All of these different volumes. And you want to be inscribed, certainly in the Book of Life, that's the master volume. But I'd like to be in the book story. I'd like to be the appendix. The book of <laughs> the appendix. I'd like to, you know, I used to, you know, when I put on the uh, uh, Barry White song, Barry White book. <laughs> Inscribe me in the book of love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That, you, you're the, the truth, only is, really the truth out. is, many people want to be inscribed in the book of 
love, the book of relationship, the book of etc. And so all of a sudden, you know, we break, f- you know, through from from a, a set frame of of uh, metaphors, and we can explore new metaphors here. You know, uh, the I think it is incredibly valuable to have a range of metaphors, and the Lev Shalem. Uh, uh, Maxor, which the conservative movement brought out, you know, X many years ago now, I don't know, 10 years ago, or maybe not quite that long. Um, it, it offers two versions of the Avinu Malkinu. And I think that at its base, the classical one, Av and Melech, parent and king, parent and, and ruler, um, I think was, was, was meant as a prayer to, uh, as a phrase, as a, as a worshipful phrase, to, to grab two different you know, divine metaphors and, and fuse them, um, the loving parent, the powerful, the powerful ruler. And then Lev Shalem offered up a bunch of other ones, you know, the, the whole 40 odd items in the list. There are always, there are two different metaphors for God um, in, in each line. And, and I think it's uh, creative and I uh, appreciate the broadening out of the palette of metaphors. I, I'm a, instinctively i'm a aesthetically traditional person i don't like to futz with classical things and and this prayer book by the way leaves avinu malkenu at the end and the beginning it doesn't futz with those so it doesn't work for me in quite the same way but i I appreciate the effort okay but i also think that contemporary american jews were 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 egalitarian socially were 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 anti-monarchical king is a hard one for us but I really think it's a very important one at this time of year. Uh, I think that, you know, we have a, a, a theological palette and king uh, or ruler, if we want to go a little more gender neutral, is not a bad part. And, and I do feel like, um, religiously speaking, to call yourself a count before the master of the cosmos is really, really helpful. And for God to, to say, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, you know, you're going to have to do this one on your own, right? I'm not going to. I'm, yeah, I'm taking my head because you guys are so Amer- American centric. Okay, I grew up with a sovereign. I grew up with a queen. I still have my queen. She's still alive. <laughs> She's still alive, and may she live to 120. Okay, and so in the world, I think she we, already has actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, She's but, just didn't tell anyone. But, but I look. You know, obviously, it's a it's a symbolic. Uh, she's a symbolic figure. Right. Actually, Elliot, what you have to grapple with is not that you live with a sovereign, but that you grew up in a democracy. Yes. And that's the key here. I think that's what Jeremy was actually talking about. That we can't have a democratic God. God has to be a sovereign. It seems to me, at least, that um, that's what makes God the other. Is that democracy is is a leveling device and i'm all for it in politics and in lots of places but in religion at least when we're talking about god i don't think it works because we need someone that is above us yes well having well, at, having... Least, at least part of it at least part of it i mean because i i do think again it's to, to return to the idea of a palette and a repertoire because you know you need both and the Shekhinah, right? You need, you need both the, the Ein Sof and the commanding God 
and Knesset Yisrael, one of the names for God in Kabbalah is Knesset Yisrael, the community of, so I, I think that all of that, a healthy religious life has a wide repertoire and doesn't know how to play only one note. So, so I think it's just such an important theme, of course, the Vino Malkino is such an important theme in general, and, but it, the idea that, that, that concepts are modified by, by their pairs, like Gadol the Kadosh, Avinu Malkenu, you know, Ori Ishi. I should translate it. It's you know, Gadol the Kadosh, great and holy, Kadosh Venora, holy and awesome. Uh, in in the Psalm twenty seven, which we we recite every morning and every evening, there there are dozens of these word pairs. Ori Ishi. These are the things that that kind of give us a, a sense of tension and balance here. And and I think entering the holidays. We are, we are entering into worlds and worlds of conversations and, and ideas. It's, it's an intellectual experience in some ways, in addition to being a spiritual experience. So you mentioned tension, and the image that comes to mind is the, the wire, a, a, a tight wire that is drawn between two poles, and you need both in order to walk across it. You can't have only one pillar supporting the wire, which is why I agree, Jeremy, with what you said, that we have to keep both ends, both poles, in order to keep the metaphors working properly. So speaking of metaphors, I think one of the, one of the most important prayers, the central prayer of the Musaf Amira in all the days, when the Tanatokev is, is replete with metaphors, especially at the end. But, but um, before we get to the paragraph, which, which gives us the, the, the scriptural metaphors of what human life is, a broken shard, withering grass, a shriveled flower, uh, a vanishing dream. Why don't, we, why don't we spend a moment or two thinking about the Unatana Tokev, thinking about this central prayer, which has as its refrain, who will live and who will die, and the, the, the song or the melody, or however it is sung in, in your communities, right? And on, on Rosh Hashanah it is written, on Yom Kippur it is sealed, I, I, take us into the the world of this prayer, and take us into the ideas, and and maybe personally, you know, when you when you dive in this, when you what's how do you experience this prayer, and and I'll start with you, Barry. So what I've come to realize is that there are two poles here. There's the 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 part of life that we can't control, and so we attribute that to God writing us in the book of life and sealing it on Yom Kippur. That's our hope, but so much of what's gonna happen in the world in the next year, as we've learned these last six months, we can't control. And therefore, we are petrified because we might be the one whose number is called this year. Now, at some point, we're gonna observe our last Rosh Hashanah as individuals. And we don't know when that will be. We hope that it won't be this year, of course, we have a lot more Parsha talk, um, but it's a real concern of ours every year when we approach the fall, the leaves are falling off the tree, there are intimations of mortality that sweep across with the changing weather. And then we have the refrain, and our teacher and colleague, Rabbi Eliezer Diamond, once suggested that this is mistranslated, that it's not that the severe decree will be annulled, but it will be postponed. We know we're gonna die, as Jeremy mentioned, but our hope is that we can push it off one more year. What we can do is we could turn to God, that's tshuva, 
We could turn inside, that's tefillah, articulating what's in our heart, and we could turn out to the world and try and do something with that, and that is staka. We want to make the world right, so we do staka. And I think that it gives us an av- a theater of action, as it were, that this is what we need to focus on. God is going to take care of what God does, and we can't be turned aside from taking care of what we can, even though it's quite difficult. Right. Jeremy, what's your experience of this uh, prayer? You know, I, I, um, I, I, I usually think, you know, over the years that I've worked, you know, here in Jewish education, that, that um, people sometimes get into trouble when they, when they think of Jewish teachings, the Jewish prayer book as being, uh, you know, about, about facts, it's, that they think that it's prose, it's poetry. And poetry still has to, you know, metaphor still has to be a metaphor of something. It's not just free-floating pretty words. But I think that people, I have experienced many people say to me about Unatan, it's okay if you know, on Rosh Hashanah, your fate is written. Like, do you really believe that? I mean, do you believe that the, that the outcome of the coming year is, is set in, in a, a given couple of days in the fall? And, and of course the answer is, no, 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 it's not a fact. I mean, I, I remember one time I presented this and somebody got incredibly upset and, and it turned out that her mother had died on the eve of Yom Kippur. And she said, you know, she read these words, uh, on Rosh Hashanah it's written and on Yom Kippur it's sealed. So you're telling me that this prayer says that God decided to kill my mother because she was bad. I said, no, it's not like that. It's, it's, I, I understand that there's a certain way in which the r- words can lead you there. But I think it's a misinterpretation. I think, and this is how I experience that this particular poem, is that it is about breaking down your defenses so you confront the terrifying reality that some of us will be Ba'esh, and some of us will be Ba'mayim, and some of us will, will you know, Yanuah, and some of us will Yanuah, right? Some of us will, will be, will be, you know, enrich, yit asher, and some will be yit yaser, will be tormented. And that's real. And I think that if you want to have a great tefillah experience in general, but certainly on the high holidays, what it needs is an open heart to, to, to the deep experiences and feelings. And to me, a prayer like this works on the level of opening up my heart to my own mortality. It makes me have that anxiety and and terror and that breaks your heart breaks it open you know and then you can say that the human being is you know origin is dust and his end is dust and is like a like a, like a broken piece of pottery uh, that's the feeling that i'm going for and as a parent um uh i pray for my children's lives that's what i do i pray for i pray for my children's well-being i usually like to hold hands with at least one of my kids during the Unitana Tokev because it's... It's real. That's real. What you're, what you're saying, I think, is really illuminating for a lot of us, including myself, really. It's that the prayers on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur function, have a functional value. They, they're to, to crack you open. It's, it's, I mean, I have the image in front of me now. You're saying, like, take a sternum separator and, and crank it open and let your heart pour out. And that's what the words do. I mean... You know, I would, I would, I would say what they do for me is that they allow me to enter a world 
in which these are realities that, that make sense, that, that the world of accountability is a world that you need to take seriously. Of course, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think this way in, in the course of our lives. And, you know, I had someone in close to my life who passed away just after Yom Kippur. My sister passed away right after Yom Kippur a couple of years ago. And, and it, was, it was a different experience to, to recite, you know, the Unitana Tokov at the time because I knew that this was happening. And, and you know, how do you do this? And, and of course, I, I mean, what's so beautiful about it and rich is the emotion. I mean, and the metaphor. So let's, let's go to Adam Yikodon. For a moment, yeah. I think that... Um, for a lot of people, there's going to be a very different Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur experience. And what we are going to have to confront this year is that we're going to have all these things largely by ourselves and certainly not with a community that we're used to being with. That what makes Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur work for many of us on some level is that we're with larger groups of people than we normally are. And we get chizuk, encouragement, and sustenance from being with them. And it's going to be important this year to imagine being with those people that we want to be with who physically we won't be with because it will change the tenor of the way we process the things. Indeed. Especially musically. Especially right. musically. You're used to hearing the, the voices. Well, so let's, let's, let's talk about music for a second. I mean, we, you know, we're going in different places. We'll leave off that paragraph I love the metaphor, you know, life passes like a vanishing dream because, you know, have you ever dreamed and then you try to remember the dream, you can't remember the dream and that's life sometimes, it's a valuable metaphor. But, but so, so I have a framework for understanding the holidays that there has to be an intellectual component, there's a, an emotional component, there's a spiritual component and there's a communal component and we've touched on that, that, that these components are, are there and, and, and of course, this year the communal component is not there in the ways that you all described so beautifully. But um, I think this holiday is the is the is the holiday that features Jewish music. It features the the brilliance of musical interpretation, and and the way I've been teaching um, the Machzor over the last several weeks is that there's so much emotion encoded in the music. I mean, even even. Something like Avinu Malkeinu, Avinu Malkeinu, Choneinu Vane. It's the minor key. It's 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 emotional. It's longing. And then, of course, you know, even so, go back to the Natana Tokev. You know, we have a beautiful melody for Adam Yisodo, and it's we say we go through the whole list. And then and it goes major and it's like yes we're back into the into into something that is uplifting and um tell me what your experiences are just davening or music or singing or or i mean and things you're going to have things you're not going to have this year what's what captivates you in the experience Barry. i think um yeah. <laughs> i think first of all the one that stands out for me, and this is, this is, first of all, this is Yom Kippur, not Rosh Hashanah, but it's on point to what we're talking about, and, and really works at Ansha Chesed. I mean, Ki Anu Amecha Elohei. 
especially by Naila. Yeah. The room is is gonna levitate. It's there's a lot of energy. And the absence of that this year is gonna be oof, it's gonna be bad. It's gonna be really hard. Although I must say, so when it works, um is uh I find it incredibly affirmative because I think that that our Jewish communities in in general, forgive me for being America centric, uh, are, are a little under peoplehood and a little over individual. And we have everybody singing "Anu Amecha," we are your people. Uh, in in that in that plural is is to me tremendously affirmative. Yes, here we are. Very. So. For the last 10 years or so in Rosh Hashanah, I've davened in a very small shul, maybe 25, 30, 40 people for Rosh Hashanah. And um, this year we'll be in a tent. So we'll be in a larger space than the, the room where the, the synagogue is. And the nature of it is that some of the melodies that I remember from my youth are not the ones that are used here. And one of the things that strikes me is how we acquire different melodies as we go through life. So the one that I love the most is El Nora Ali La. Used to go to a synagogue where that was introduced by an Iraqi Jew who would tell a little story and start singing that. And it was very, very powerful and very moving. And, you know, I only heard it there and I haven't heard it since I left that shul. But it speaks to what I think is the... The power of high holiday, high holiday music is that it's different. With Shabbat and Yom Tov, we find that music comfortable. We look forward to a week after week, but most of the music that we're going to hear on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're only going to hear on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You know, this is our one moment. And because music can be so powerful, it allows us to live and relive moments of our lives, religiously and otherwise, as we recall, you know, I, well, going past 60 years now for me, where I have been. And so it's a way of watching a panorama of memories and associations come through orally through the words, but orally also through the year yeah. with the music that we hear. Should explain Elna Alila that that's the poem that is part of Nila, right? Right before. Right, it's the introduction to Nila. Yeah. So, so I, I'm remembering a talk given by the late Rabbi Morty Leifman, Zichron Livracha, and and it stays with me all these years after rabbinical school. It's like you know I don't know thirty odd seventy years ago, and and he talked about the Kadid Gadol, da 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 da. And then, and then it goes into a lively tune. He says, because the Jewish people can't handle living in that terror for so much. And, and I think about that at one specific moment, not only at the Kaddish, but I blow the shofar uh, for the shul. And so I get up and, and uh, recite the bracha for the shofar. And, and the bracha for the shofar, you know, can be a very moving and awesome moment. But the second bracha is a shachiano, right? And that bracha can also be. And, and I, I, I intentionally start the bracha da, with, with, in the minor sense. You know, baruch Adonai, 
And then I go to which is such it's so joyous. I find that 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 just that melody to be the joy melody of, of the holidays. And well, it's listening said, to you sing, we want to join in. So it, Yeah, because you want to join in and it says, hey, everybody, lighten up a little bit. This is, we're, we're going to sound the shofar. There's joy in the sounding of the shofar. There's, look at the, you know, we, yes, we're missing everybody. We're missing the hundreds of people, but, but that joy is attainable. But you know what? I, I think I, I agree with everything you said except the word lighten. Because this is a this is a deep joy. It's not. Okay. It's not a. I am it, it. But that uh, that melody that 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 you know Arab Arab uh, Rosh Hashanah melody Arab Yom Kippur that just always dissolves it, it, me into tears every exactly, single time. Exactly, it's just so emotional, and that's the content of this experience. And and this, I mean, when we when we feel mournful about this year, I think that that's. What we're identifying, we're identifying the fact that we're going to miss sharing that the deep emotional experience that's encoded in the music in in the community. And yet, you know what I'm worried about. You know what I'm worried about. We'll be okay. We there will be a lot of losses this high holidays, but I think we'll be okay. But not if we have to do it twice. Yes. <laughs> like we have to do it next year. I mean. Look, I mean, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. We, we, we will get through. We will get through. You know, there's, I have this book. Um, maybe you guys have seen it or have it also. It's printed by Yad Vashem. They call it the Wolfsburg Moxor. In 1944, uh, there was this guy. His name was Natali Stern. He was the cantor from Satmar. He was in, in Auschwitz. And, um, and he, in the weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah, he wrote down the prayers from memory on these little, he was, his job, he was carrying sacks of cement for the Nazis and the sacks were made of these paper-like materials. So he wrote down the prayers from memory and for whatever reason, the Nazis let them daven and Rosh Hashanah 44, Professor Halivni was at the, yeah. at the, he wrote the introduction to this book. He was at that moment, he was at that service and the man kept them um, until about 1989 or something like that. And he gave them to Yad Vashem who published a book of it. And I always, you know, it's not like a full moxo or something, but I always try to have the book and, and daven a little bit out of those, uh, out, out of those uh, little little words. So we've been through a lot worse. <laughs> well, we might say it's not full, but it's complete that moxo. Yes. And you know, we often say there's strength in numbers, and I think that the task for us this year is to find strength in whatever numbers we're with. And it's not going to be the numbers of last year, and God willing, as you expressed, it won't be the numbers of next year. But we have to be misamech b'choko and take what we have this year and make the most of it. I think also, and, and here I, I, I'm looking at the clock, and we're, we're we're running out of time. But I think part of what it is is also to be profoundly grateful, and and uh, and that is what Shechiana is about. And 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 I think this is a good little note to to. To conclude with that, that we are grateful. We're, we're we're deeply grateful for what we have. We're deeply grateful for for the experiences, even the knowledge and the wisdom that we've uh, attained this year. I, I can say personally, you know, 
you know, I'm grateful for the for our weekly gatherings, you know? Absolutely. Special, a special part of, of this time. And, and so, Shekhyanu, Shekhyanu, we made it. We made it. You know, God willing, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be, we'll be more than fine. And we'll, we'll touch all the emotional notes that we need to touch and all the intellectual notes. And we won't have as many people around, but we're going to try our best to, to be with people in whatever way we can and to have everyone be strengthened by each other. And all I can say is, Shana Tova, let's be, be uh, inscribed in all the metaphorical books for a sweet year, good year. A blessing from my colleagues. Go ahead, Jeremy. I can't add anything to that. It's too good. <laughs> okay, I'll add one good. word. Go ahead, go ahead. Shana Tova, Tuka. To all our loyal listeners, our viewers, we, we so, so are honored by, by giving us the, the space in your homes and the time to, to listen to us, to see us. We look forward to seeing you in a new year. May it be a beautiful year, sweet year, a healthy year, a joyful year. And may this Yontiv that's coming up be a time of real joy, real prayer, depth, the transcendent, the imminent, all these things, accountability, the awesomeness of it all, the joy of it all. Shana Tova. Amen. Shana Tova. Shana Tova.